Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the James McDonald Podcast, where we say love to live to love. That's our focus, that's our passion, and we invite you to let God's Word have that impact in your life right now. Here's Pastor James. If you're at your house and you're thirsty, you don't really care how the water got to your house. All you care about is, is that the water coming out of the tap is there and pure and quenching to your thirst. In the same way, um, you're in God's house and we're about to go into God's word. We're asking his Holy Spirit to feed us. You don't really care um, where the message comes from. You just want to know that it is a pure and is going to be satisfying to your soul to make sure that is the case. Please open your Bibles to Exodus 20. Exodus 20, and uh, this is our series, uh, The Ten Commandments of Marriage. Great armies of the world, uh, good ones, uh, evil ones, uh, have always, I'm sure you can call to mind some pictures, have always marched in a tight formation. Armies march uh, in uh, a tight uh, formation. Have you uh, noticed that? You see them, and uh, when soldiers are out of step, um, breaking rank, uh, fighting freestyle, uh, people die, uh, wars are lost, and uh, nations um, end. So this, this information is a, is a pretty big deal. Um, uh, marriages also uh, need uh, order. And uh, when there's family strife of various kinds and just problems, problems always, especially in the marriage, when, when, when uh, the marriage is out of sequence, uh, people are flying uh, out of formation. Um, yeah, well, the title of this uh, message is uh, Putting Our Marriage in Step. Every husband flying in formation, every wife flying in formation, every husband in step with God and his word and his spouse and his family, every uh, wife uh, marching uh, in step. You know, God is a God of order, right? God is a God of order, and so uh, this whole uh, idea of the Ten Commandments of marriage. I said at the very beginning that we were going to spend a little bit of time at the start of each of these messages working on a theology of commandment. In a world that we live in, our culture just has no respect for authority of any kind. The idea of someone telling you it goes like this is, is so contrary to our prideful, um, autonomous selves that we just need to be kind of reminded that the most common way that God relates to his children is through uh, commandments. Now, these are the top ten, but of course, uh, these are all through the scriptures. That's what we learned last time, that God's commands are common. Uh, but here's the uh, rest of the five things. Just run those down. God's commands are common. They are protection. They are life. They are unchanging. And they are binding. So in this message, we want to talk about how uh, God's uh, commandments are protection. See, a child doesn't uh, know uh, its limits. Would you agree with this, parents, that most children don't know their limits? They don't understand the stove is hot. They don't understand that car going by can flatten them like a pancake. They don't really understand their limits. So God gave parents uh, to children uh, to help them understand uh, and know their limits. Uh, but even a parent uh, doesn't uh, know uh, the limits uh, perfectly. Uh, God's knowledge of us, only God's knowledge of us is infinite and perfect. 
And uh, so that's why uh, his protection matters. Now, I'm going to come back to some of these commandments, but just look at the briefer ones. See there in Exodus 20? Uh, notice uh, just the four that come so quick. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear a false witness. Now, when the Bible says, let's just take that one, number 13, in verse 13. We'll come back to this in a couple of weeks. But when the Bible says, you shall not murder, all right, um, there is um, zero. Everyone show me the great symbol here for zero. There is, everyone say it. What's this for? This is zero. Hear me on this. There is zero chance that murdering will work out good for you. Zero chance. And all God's people said, Zero. There's just zero chance. You say, well, you know, this guy's really bothering me. I think I might feel better if he was gone. Incorrect. Okay? There is no way that will work out good. No way. So when the Bible says, um, you shall not murder, um, um, it's not depriving you of something that would make your life better. What it's saying is, is that when you murder, keep in mind that Jesus said that hatred is murder. What it's saying is, is that when you murder, you lose. Just like the kid that needs to be told, don't touch the stove when it's hot, don't run in the traffic when it's busy. We need to hear God's law as protection as protection but so often we don't we don't we, we think we know better hey um anyone on netflix anyone on netflix hands up if you're on netflix um interesting uh, some I, I like documentaries a lot and and uh, so there's this documentary on there about uh, the men who made america it's kind of a historic thing, and so we've been uh, watching these little episodes. One was about Vanderbilt. Um, I mean, this is the guy who built uh, trains. No Vanderbilt, no trains. And that was such a huge uh, game changer for our nation. And then uh, Rockefeller. Rockefeller, you know what his big thing is? Do you know, do you know, do you know? Oil. So Vanderbilt, trains, Rockefeller, oil, uh, Ford, cars. There was a couple of others. I don't have pictures of them. Uh, J.P. Morgan was finance, and uh, Carnegie was steel. I mean, I mean, so, like Vanderbilt knows trains, like Rockefeller knows oil, like Carnegie knows steel, like Ford knows cars. God knows you better than you know yourself. I know myself, I know what, uh, incorrect again, that, that sin has so grown our capacity to deceive ourselves that we think our knowledge of ourselves is somehow greater than God's, and it is not. Choose to sin, All right? And when God says don't, he means? Now, th this is the essence of command. That, that you have to have a theology of command, not just that they're common, but that they are protection. I might not like the stop sign when I see it. 
And I may sometimes uh, lie to myself and say I can look quickly and not stop fully, but I don't race them and run them blindly. I recognize there's a protection there. And our lives will go a lot better. Our families will go a lot better. Our marriages will go a lot better if we recognize that God knows our limits and we do not. And his law, these commandments, they are protections. We should, and David said, oh, how I love your law. Well, as you see the law as protection, you begin to love it, and you are grateful for it. As you feel the sting of stepping outside and into what God forbids, you are thankful for a place to run back to and experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness through Christ and seek to live inside these glorious protections. We don't know our limits. I, I uh, um, have a huge lifelong problem with motion sickness. Anybody with me? I was a, anybody? I was, I was a, a, a eight, nine, ten-year-old kid in class. I would get sick in gym class if I had to do a somersault. Now, I could jump off cliffs. We've jumped off. I've jumped off some very high cliffs around the world into water. It's not the height. It's not the falling. It's the flipping. I can tell you as a youth pastor, I tried so hard to go with the kids to the theme parks, and I, I was over, always bent over a fence somewhere off on the side. <laughs> a few years ago now, Kathy and I went on a missions trip to um, Ecuador, and, and uh, we actually were in Quito, and we took a several-hour drive out into the jungle and found ourselves only about... Uh, maybe a 20 or 30 minute flight away from uh, the place where Jim Elliott and several others died as martyrs uh, in the Ecuadorian jungle back in the late 50s. Jim Elliott's the one who said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That had a huge impact on me as a young man. I couldn't wait to get out there. So we got on with this missionary aviation fellowship pilot and we uh, flew um, actually, here's a picture of the beach where uh, they first landed to take the gospel to these um, uh, really just uncivilized in every sense of the word people. They didn't have a language. They didn't have anything written down. They, and, but they took the gospel to them. These are the ones that turned on them and murdered them. Of course, now the gospel is, I mean, it's just awesome what's there today in churches. And it was, but they gave their lives for it. Well, anyway, this pilot takes us in there, and, and he kind of flies over. See, there it is there. He flies over, and then he circles around, and he says, because um, I had told him when I got in the plane, here's the thing, bro, we're going to go here. I got a serious, you know, motion sickness thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. It's going to be super calm. And, okay, okay, okay. And I was sitting up front, you know, and I mean, I got so many stories of being in little planes and grabbing bags out of the glove compartment and getting into the bag, and then the bottom's missing in the bag. And I mean, just, and all God's people said TMI, and... So anyway, so I get in this plane, and we're going over there, and no sooner does he fly over the place, but he circles around, and, and he's like, now let me show you what it was like when they flew in here the first time and had to land on that beach right there, and there was no runway. And I says, no, no, do not show us. It was too late. And he buzzed down over this beach like this and pulled the plane up, and looking back, and then Kathy's smiling, happy, this is awesome. <laughs> um, we got out of the plane. And Kathy got a tour of the little village. They walked down. It was Gary and Carol Franz used to be on our staff here. They all went together and they went down to the beach and saw where the martyr had happened and had a word of prayer together. I laid in the deep grass 
throwing hard and then gently and then dry heaves. I was there until they kind of pulled me back onto the plane. There was no chance that wasn't going to happen because of what he did. It would happen again if I did it right now. I can, look, I, I knew my limits. I knew them. Now take that and hold on to it and add to it. Do you know yourself? Do you know yourself? What you can do, what you can't do, what you can do, what you can't do? Just add to that this theology. God knows everything about you that you know. He knows the things that you think you know that aren't right. And he knows a lot of un- things, that, inviolable things that are absolutely true. And it doesn't matter, let's go with hill of beans, It doesn't matter a hill of beans whether you agree with these things or not. It is is as much a reality as that story I just told you. Nothing could change that outcome given what happened. And, And this is what we mean when we say choose to sin, choose to suffer. You cannot dodge this bullet. You cannot. And because God loves you, His rules are given as perfection. Here's the way I wrote it down. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what will hurt you. He knows what will help you. His laws are from a heart of love for your protection. God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what will hurt you and what will help you. His laws are from a heart of love for your protection. All right, that's a theology of commandment. And God's commandments are common. They are protection. And we will come back to more of that. Now let's get into the commands themselves. Last time we learned uh, no other gods from verses 1 through 3. Shall have no other gods before me. No idols, uh, verses 4, 5, and 6. Then we applied those to marriage. God will be the first and final authority in our marriage. God's love will be our passion and our experience, our first priority Now remember, there's two tablets in the Ten Commandments, the four and the six. The first four are about our relationship with God. That governs everything. Then the six are just like even more related to relationship and practical. But we got to get the vertical right. Someone say amen before we can get the horizontal, right? Let me give you another run at that. I kind of cut you off. We have to get the vertical right before we can get the horizontal right. So... um, Here's command number three, uh, no blasphemy. He's pretty serious about this. No blasphemy. Verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord your God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He's not going to pass on this. He's not going to say it's cool. It isn't cool. And, but of course, what comes is, is what exactly uh, does this uh, mean? Now, most have heard this uh, as a, um, you know, kind of a, um, a prohibition, uh, but it's not a prohibition on vulgar speech. The Bible says that in other places, let no uh, unwholesome communication come out of your mouth. But this isn't about cuss words and four-letter words and words for base things. Enough said. Um, that's not what this is talking about at all. This is entirely about speech, uh, or let me just say that it's entirely uh, about uh, God, uh, including speech. Uh, let me say that um, the name here is a pretty huge deal. You understand that in our 
uh, culture, a person's name. The parents liked the way it sounded. Or we liked your uncle, he had that name. Or your dad put a lot of pressure on us, your grandpa put a lot of pressure on us, so we had to go with his name. Or there's a lot of reasons, but usually it isn't what the name means. I looked up uh, James uh, is uh, actually the Old Testament to Jacob. So <laughs> I spent the whole fall telling you what that means. I don't <laughs> But it is the third, just hey, hey, it is the 13th most popular name in America, just so you'll know. And, and then um, uh, Kathy uh, means pure. I've always loved that name. Kathy means pure. Um, all that to say is, is that names don't uh, mean uh, things. Like no, nobody's thinking about what your name means. It's, and, and I would say that it's more what, but in, uh, phonetically pleasing. But in biblical times, the name uh, not only, uh, you've got to hear this, the name stood for the person, not for the characteristics of the person. So when God revealed his name as Yahweh, we know that the, the name Yahweh, it's right here in the text, it's translated the Lord. Um, they wouldn't even write only the consonants, not the vowels. Y, uh, H, W, H, they would just write that. And that's why we used to have that word Jehovah, because people just, well, let's try these vowels. But actually, Y, H, W, H, uh, a better understanding, we think, is actually the name Yahweh. I don't want to argue the point. It's just this, that when God told us his personal name, he wasn't just revealing he's holy, he's loving, he's good, he's true. He was revealing himself, who, his personhood, who he actually is. So when you look at this, this commandment, look at it now. Verse 7, you shall not take the name which stands for the person. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God uh, in vain. I think what we've... Uh, the word vain means empty, purposeless, false, or futile. And I've always been taught, and, and honestly have always taught, that what this means is, is don't use God's name without a purpose, without purpose. And, and so people are like, OMG, and, and, and oh God, and, and someone's like, well, aren't you doing it right now? No, I'm teaching you about it. I have a purpose. It's to do it without a purpose. To Kathy, um, I am blessed that I knew my wife for a couple of months before she was even uh, a Christian. And she came to a church. She wasn't brought up in a Christian home, which in a lot of ways has really been a great seasoning of our ministry, helping us understand the people that we're reaching. I'm so thankful for that. But, but one of our first, first falling in love nights was we were on a hayride. I was like 17 or so, and she was 15, and we, I was kind of flirting with her and talking to her and trying to get her attention, and she thought I was funny, and, and she would say, oh, my God, oh, my God, you're so funny. And I said, she didn't even know the Lord yet. I said, you can't say that. And she just, she, she got saved a couple weeks later. She never said it again. She just, oh, didn't know that. No one ever told me. Now, I think that at this stage, I'm more concerned about the Christian who knew than I am about the person that didn't know. I'll give you another illustration. Just down the street here, I used to play uh, basketball a lot, two or three times a week at the uh, kind of the police department, former old Palatine High School, and there was a bunch of guys there that I knew and enjoyed, and I remember one particular guy, kind of a bodybuilder, a guy named Aaron, and, and uh, just, just a 
cool guy, but he would, Jesus Christ, and just all the time when we're playing, it's all, and I knew him pretty good. I shared the Lord with him, and I can remember a couple different times where I would say to him, you know, you know, come on, Aaron, and you, you can't, you know, use the Lord's name that way, and, and, and I love the Lord, and I just wish you wouldn't do that, and I got to say, based on what I'm about to tell you, look at the word take. When did we decide that taking the name of the Lord in vain was a verbal thing. If I'd have done a survey here, I think most of you would have said, like I would have said, it's, it's a speech thing, it's a speech thing, but actually the concept of speech is not even in the text. This word has nothing to do with talking, though I think you can certainly blaspheme the Lord by your talking and you can use his name verbally to no purpose, but actually, interestingly, the, the Hebrew word here, uh, NASA, spelt just like our aeronautics, NASA, like that, um, that, that Hebrew word means to lift or carry or bear. The only other usage of it uh, in um, the Pentateuch is Aaron uh, bearing. When Aaron would go into the holy place, he would have to wear uh, two kind of uh, stones on his shoulders. And on each of the stones, listen to this, six of the 12 tribes written here, six of the 12 tribes written here, and he would bear their names before the holy God. This is the concept. Representation. Representation is the concept. And if you are here uh, at Harvest this weekend on one of our campuses and you claim Jesus Christ, and I hope you've made that decision, he loves you, he gave his life for you. He's alive. He paid the price for your sins. If you believe in him, you could be forgiven. How awesome is that? And if you've made that choice and embraced Christ by faith for your forgiveness, you are bearing a name. You are a representative of the one that you say that you own. And to take the name of the Lord in vain is to miss represent him. That's it. Jot this down. If you bear the name of Jesus and call yourself a Christian, you must represent him accurately and respect him totally. Got it? You shall not take, bear, carry the name, the reputation of the Lord your God without purpose, inaccurately, in an empty, vain way. God's not good with that, won't ever be. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, can we apply that to marriage? Can we? Can this be applied to marriage? I got super busy this week and I didn't have a chance to study this part, so I'm just going to try to make it up as I go along. Does anyone have any thoughts here that we could just share uh, together? Jot this down. Command number three applied to marriage. God's name and reputation must be respected at all times in uh, our marriage. In other words, where best to bear the name, I'll just refer to my own marriage, um, where best to bear the name of Christ than to my most important human relationship? 
If I want to represent Christ and bear that name and not bear it in vain, amen? If I want to bear it accurately and purposefully, where better to do that than to the most important human relationship that I have? Yeah, this applies to my marriage. Yeah, this applies right there. I am, men, you are, ladies, you are a representation of Jesus Christ to your spouse. Don't bear his name in vain. Elton Trueblood said this, the worst blasphemy is not profanity. It's lip service. Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worst profanity was not my precious someday-to-be wife who didn't even know the Lord saying, oh God, oh God. That's so far from the problem, it's laughable. I didn't get this. The, the, the worst contradiction of this, the third commandment, is not my buddy on the basketball court who lays claim to nothing, saying something that means nothing, meaning nothing by it, and knowing nothing about it. Maybe the greater failure in that was me trying to subject him to a represent... Oh, that's what Christians are like. They go around pounding down everything that doesn't work the way they think it should work. Maybe the person taking the Lord's name in vain there wasn't him. Maybe it was me. Was that Jesus' heart for him? If he never talks to another Christian again, have I represented the Lord well? That God's heart is, is that basketball players wouldn't, who don't know Jesus or about him or why this even matters, is this the great thing on God's heart? I'm going first and saying I, I'm glad I've had some time now to really study this and I'm thankful for the insights that I have been given. And I want to get this right. I know that you, so many of you, love the Lord so dearly. Don't we want to represent him well? And don't we want to represent him best to the relationships that matter most? Your marriage bears the name of Jesus Christ to one another. Don't bear his name in vain. Your marriage bears the name of Jesus to your children. Do they love Jesus more for having watched your marital conduct? If not, have we borne his name to them in vain? Your marriage is an opportunity. If you're here and you have the privilege of being married, then it is a privilege, it's not a right. And if you have the privilege of being married, your marriage is your opportunity to carry the name of Jesus to your extended family 
How many of you had extended family at your weddings that don't know Jesus but heard a lot of things said about Jesus? How many of you have prayed prayers over meals and given gifts that seem to indicate that what mattered most to you was this name, but your marriage is shouting to them a message about his name. We're carrying a name, loved ones. Carry it well. Carry it accurately. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's a life-changing, fresh understanding for me. I'm really thankful for it and thankful to share it with you. Here's the point. People who shudder at the thought of a single word of blasphemy escaping their lips. Some people, I would never say that. Right, right, right. People who shudder at that thought fail to understand that we break the third commandment every time we fail to represent Christ accurately. So, here it is. Applied to marriage, God's name and reputation must be respected at all times in our marriage. So let's get as practical as we can here. Five ways our marriages might, might, if you're, if you're more comfortable with that. Five ways our marriages possibly might blaspheme the Lord. Um, Jot these down. Uh, number one, uh, faith comes first. And the way that I did this when I was preparing my message, I just thought about five or six, uh, seven or eight failed marriages uh, in our church in the last year. Okay? So I'm, this is, I didn't get this data from Cleveland, okay? This is five or six uh, marriages in our church. And um, people who have been sitting where you're all sitting on one of our campuses... All right, hearing what you're hearing, but their marriage failed, and their marriage failed because they didn't represent Christ properly to their spouse. They bore his name in vain to no purpose. And in one of them, uh, the error was this uh, faith comes first. Faith comes first. And, and I would certainly agree uh, on one level that faith comes first, but faith comes. Uh, as a gift from God, Ephesians 2. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. And you can't make your spouse believe, and you can't make your spouse follow, and you can't make your spouse... But how often uh, do we say in our marriage, I can't love you fully until you love God fully? Is that God's heart? How many people are thankful the Lord didn't say that to us? Can't love you fully till you love me fully. Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He already had the job done. We didn't even wake up yet. Okay? So that's an, not an accurate representation. Faith comes first. Here's another one. A ministry before marriage. That's a super slippery one. 
Where are you going tonight? I'm going over to the church. Where are you going tonight? I'm going to work to my small group. Where are you going tonight? I'm going to, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to go sing and speak and, 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 and do my ministry. I've got to do my ministry. And the ministry becomes God. God isn't God. Ministry is God. Your fulfillment, your joyful ministry, your purposeful existence, your ministry is God. God's not God. And because God's not God, you represent he doesn't want your... I was talking to a pastor in the last few months who lost his ministry. And he was understandably grieving to a friend on the phone and, and very upset that he lost his ministry. And I finally, honestly, couldn't really um, hear much more of it. And I said, hey, bro, you lost your family. You lost your wife. Your kids won't even talk to you. Okay? That was your ministry. That was your ministry. Out here serving God, doing all this, while your marriage and your children are failing at home? God forgive us. That is messed up. Okay? And your family isn't God but your ministry isn't God either. And God expects that our first line, our first importance, our, you can't reach the world till you reach your continent. You can't reach your continent till you reach your country. You can't reach your country till you reach your state. You can't reach your state till you reach your city. You can't reach your city till you reach your church. You can't reach your church till you reach your family. That is first. And this helped me so much earlier in my life, but applied in a different way. First, I'll say it to parents. Do not make your children's relationship with God the test of their relationship with you. Do not make your spouse's relationship with God the test of their relationship with you. Well, I can't love you more until you love God more. That is as backwards as backwards gets. Every non-believing spouse should be saying, what keeps me in this unequally yoked marriage is the way that person loves and gives and serves. Now, I understand that there are limits to that. I really do get it. And I understand that you're not supposed to destroy yourself for the sake of the work. And God doesn't want a woman destroyed for the sake of a marriage. I'm laying out the priority list. And I would be bearing the name of the Lord in vain. And no doubt, God forgive me, have. When I have communicated through word and action to my wife that ministry comes before her. I have represented the Lord inaccurately. And when I have communicated to my wife or to my children that their relationship with God is more important than their relationship with me and that, that I'm going to withhold myself to try to sort of leverage them into loving God. I haven't done that, by the way. And, and I think my kids would say I haven't, and I hope that you haven't, because in both instances, we would be representing the Lord uh, inaccurately. Here's a couple more. So 
Faith comes first, ministry comes before marriage. Here, here it is, the lopsided carry. All right? I don't know who this is for. I pray about these things. This is a message for the person on the receiving end of a lopsided marriage. And if I asked you, is, are you a Christian? You would say yes. And if I said, is your marriage a Christian marriage? You would say yes. But you have a lopsided marriage. Your uh, spouse, um, let's say your wife, men, she cleans the house, she works outside the home, she makes the meals, she does the laundry, she feeds the kids, she, 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 she. you work and sit. That's a lopsided marriage, bro. All right? And, and, and hold up your hands if you think you have given more to God than God has given to you. Hold up your hands if you think that God has given more to you than you have given to him. Therefore, if we are to represent him and bear his name accurately... We must be attending to, I have to be giving more. Now, I understand men go out into the marketplace and they provide in many instances, and that's part of their giving. But whether directly or indirectly, God's intent is, is that in every marriage there is this, it's called the give and, the give and take. And if you have a lopsided marriage and you let it stay that way, You're bearing his name in vain. Number four, secret anything. Hold up, family. How, hold up. How many, how many secrets should we have in our marriage? Hold up. How many? Come on. How many secrets? Come on. You got two phones? All right, you're a freak. Okay? Nobody has two phones. What do you have two phones for? Well, I got this other phone over here. Burn it. What do you have two phones for? There's no secrets. Well, I got this passcode on my computer. Nobody can get on my computer, only me. because I, Why? Because you have secrets. And I actually do keep a passcode on my phone. And if anyone says to me, what is it? I tell them. The passcode on my phone is uh, the three birth years of my children. I just don't want to keep pocket dialing people. It's 85, 88, 90. You can pick up my phone anytime. We shouldn't have secrets all right? You don't, go, where, where did he go? He left work at 2 o'clock. No one knows where he is. He showed up at 7. That's a disaster. Okay? And, and, and what's she doing uh, all day? We don't know. And there shouldn't be secrets in your marriage. Get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time, go on vacation together, one bank account, one phone each, you know, total access. Everything else is an opportunity for disaster. Now, let me just ask you. Our Lord, in the darkness or in the light? Tell me. He is the light. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It's not that we don't fail. We have our failure in the light with us so we can get his grace and mercy and forgiveness. Someone say amen. So what we don't want is we don't want secrets. Jesus doesn't have any secrets. Jesus, trust me, if you're going to follow around for three years, it was like, man, oh man, nobody knows where he's been for four days. We can't find him. We can't get a hold of him. What's he doing? That never happened ever. 
Jesus doesn't need secrets because he's not trying to hide anything, because he's not trying to get away with anything. He is the light, and we've been called into the light, and secrecy has no place in a marriage. And if you're trying to tell your spouse that you need these secrets, you are not representing the Lord accurately. And then this. Fearful avoidance. Um, Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear. Uh, the Lord says over and over, fear not. Uh, God does not want his children living in fear. You're not supposed to have fear. You're not supposed to have fear. You're not supposed to have fear. Look up here. Look up here. Doc, look up here. You're not supposed to have fear. You're not supposed to have fear. You're not supposed to have fear. Ever. Fear the Lord God. That's it. Okay? So if you have fear, it's not from God. God doesn't want, so represent him well. Men who walk on eggshells, you know, she's going to blow, she's going to blow. You know, be careful all the time, careful all the time. What's going to happen next? You just don't know. And when it did happen last time, she made you, punished you so bad, you don't ever want that again. You are living in fear, and she is not bearing the name of the Lord. Accurately, she's taking his name in vain. And women who live in fear. I can't say nothing. I can't raise the question. I can't ask nothing. I can't press him about this. I know what happened last time I did this. I can't do that. I can't have another thing like that. That is as wicked as wicked gets. And that is as fault. What does the Bible say about the Lord? It says that he has set your feet in a large place. And, and, and uh, he has covered you with loving kindness. And, and we live under the shower of the mercy and grace of Almighty God. And through His Son, Jesus Christ, we don't have to live in fear in relationship to God. And if people who are bearing His name accurately, there should be no fear in your marriage. There should be no fear in your home. should be nothing we can't talk about. Now pick your time. Be wise. I, I get all that, all those little practical things that I could say here, but I'm not going to say it. Bottom line, if you are the source of fear in your home. That is great, great wickedness. And you are taking the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And he will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And I have a whole nother one here. And I want to represent him well. So I'm not going to um, hurry that. What I want to do is I want to have you, uh, if you would, bow with me in a word of prayer. And on all of our campuses, let's just bow. Men, it'd be good if you just can kind of lean forward a bit and just get yourself in a posture of humility. And I think, um, you know, it's not an easy thing to lead a family. What a tall order to represent Christ and uh, just by bowing your head, men, and closing your eyes, you can be representing to your family, I want to get under this. I want to represent Christ more accurately to our family. And God, we pray that you would uh, move in the hearts of people. How can we hear these things and not be acutely aware of um, immense room for growth? But in your grace, we turn to you, God, 
I thank you for the marriages that are doing well, and I thank you for the marriages that are growing. But just now I want to thank you specifically for the ones who have come to a crossroads and are making uh, the decision together. We're coming to this or we're coming back to this. God is going to be the first and the final authority in our home. If forgiveness is what he's asking, that's what we're going to do. If, if cleaning out the garbage is what he's asking, that's what we're going to do. If greater priority of his word in our home is what he's asking, it doesn't matter what he's asking. We're coming back to this. That's what we're going to do. We're going to surrender our marriage afresh to God's authority over it. So I hope that you've been really encouraged today through this clear teaching from God's word. I just want to thank you from the whole team for listening to the James McDonald podcast, where the learning is for loving, loving God and for loving others more and more until we see him face to face. Thank you for standing with us. Your prayerful support is our lifeline to continue this gospel partnership, and it makes podcasts like these possible. If you're not part of a vibrant, life-giving gospel church, check out this new alternative. It's called the Home Church Network. You can get it at homechurchnetwork.global. All the ministry information, Bible teaching, and and resources are there, and also at jamesmcdonaldministries.org. Hey, thank you again for listening.